For those of you who have served our nation and stood there just a few moments ago, I want to thank you very much. We remember you and, and your years of service. In our service today, I want us to remember a different warrior. I want us to remember a unique warrior. For the nation of Israel, this warrior was deeply ingrained into their thinking and into their life. The concept of war and, and warrior was, was, was tantamount for the nation of Israel as they were on the, on the run. In Exodus chapter 15, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, had been in Egyptian captivity, exiled from their homeland, made slaves in a foreign land. God's leader, a deliverer named Moses. And many of you know that it was Moses and Pharaoh that had an epic encounter that led to the ten plagues. You know, the, the river that turned to blood, the flies, the locusts, all of that kind of stuff. And then ended up with the very first Passover, the death of the firstborn. And Pharaoh and all God wanted and all Moses would ask for was for the children of Israel to be let go. So that they could go and worship in their own homeland. So that they could leave the exile of Egypt and return home. And Pharaoh was unrelenting, and he said no, and he was unrelenting time after time, plague after plague, horrible destruction after horrible destruction of, 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 of locusts and lice, and I mean just uh, the, the death of animals, uh, no sunlight for many days, and finally, after the death of the firstborn, in which his own son died, he was a broken man, and he relented, and Israel was allowed to start their journey home. Songs and poems of joy and celebration sprang out through this people in exile. For God had delivered them. He had turned the heart of Pharaoh towards the things of God. Moses had become victorious over the iron-fisted hand of Pharaoh. And the people set out from exile towards freedom. Somewhere in the emptying of Goshen... The, the area of land where the Hebrews were contained in. Pharaoh's heart was hardened again. And he changed his mind and he sent his armies out into the desert to what would amount amounted to the greatest act of genocide probably the world has never known. It would have been tantamount to the Holocaust in World War II. He sent the Egyptian armies out to basically kill the Egyptians. They had no armies. They had no weapons of war. They, they, had no, they had no instruments of defense. They had been slaves for a good number of years. And they were poor and paupers. They were broken from lack of nourishment. And now they saw the dust clouds of Pharaoh's horses and chariots. They heard the thunderous marching of the soldiers on the desert plains. In front of them was the Red Sea, behind of them was the closing army of Pharaoh. And God's deliverer, Moses, heard from God and he stretched forth his rod. And the waters parted. I mean, they were just literally held back. And the children of Israel, who were in hopeless despair, passed through on dry ground. All what some people think was a half a million to maybe two million. They passed through on dry ground. And then as Moses went through and the chariots of, of Egypt were starting to thunder across the, the Red Sea, Moses 
closed his hands, dropped the rod, the parters, the waters began to, with torrents and, and mighty force began to flow again, destroying all of Israel's or all of the Egyptian army. Can you imagine being an Egypt and an Israeli and seeing this whole thing develop before your eyes? I mean, the ten plagues, the death of the firstborn, the, the massive cloud that, of justice, Pharaoh's army, the, order, the feeling of utter despair and utter hopelessness. Matter of fact, there's some of you in that utter despair and utter hopelessness. They crossed on the other side in Israel, as Israel would do because they were a people that were given to poetic uh, prose and they were given to poetic uh, I'm not very poetic. They were given to poems and poetry and song. And they got on the other side, turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15, verses 2 and 3. Because they remembered this ultimate warrior and they made a song to this ultimate warrior. Verse 2 says in Exodus 15, The Lord is my strength and the Lord is my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. And I will praise him. My father's God. And I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a warrior. You see, sometimes we've got this kind of conception of God, this premonition of God that he's just kind of this kind of meek, molly, kind of gomer pile, all golly gee shucks kind of a guy that will just kind of let things happen, let bygones be bygones and not hold anyone to account. When Israel crossed the Red Sea, they did not give glory and honor to the deliverer Moses. They gave honor to the divine warrior of heaven. Yahweh, Jehovah, Hebrew names for the God of the Old Testament. And it was a time of tremendous celebration as they remembered and celebrated their deliverance from exile. It was a song of thanksgiving. And somehow this idea of the warrior king... This divine warrior got thoroughly ingrained in Israel's history. Would you fast forward 1,500 years? Would you go to the book of Psalms, chapter 98? Israel, again, is in exile. This time it's Babylonian exile. The northern and the southern kingdom, the nation of Israel, as they've known it, has been destroyed, has been carried away. The people have been dispersed. It is a time of national mourning. The temple in Jerusalem, the sign and, and, and kind of what, you know, the Lincoln Memorial and the White House and the Capitol building represent to us politically. And that's what this temple represented to them. It was also kind of their spiritual moorings as well. And so here, it, the temple is destroyed. Jerusalem is burnt down. The walls are in shambles. The gates have been torn asunder. And this mighty city of God is now a desolate wasteland. And no deliverance is in sight. God is strangely quiet in these days. 
Well, they remembered the parting of the Red Sea, Exodus chapter 15, verses 2 and 3. This warrior king was, was ingrained in their, in their national thinking, in their spiritual development that God would come and judge and rule the world. And if he was going to come to judge and to rule, they knew that he would have to overtake the nations by force. The concept of God as warrior may be foreign to us, but to Israel they understood it. And so in Psalm 98, a lone poet sings a psalm of trust. There's no deliverance. There's no light on the horizon. But he sings a psalm of trust anyway. Look at verse 1. Sing unto the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. The poet is saying, I remember. I remember. I heard the stories from great, great, great granddaddy about the parting of the Red Sea. I heard stories from great granddad about how David killed Goliath. I heard the stories about Gideon. I heard the stories about Elijah. I heard the stories and I still believe. Their life was totally different than yours and mine. They lived in fear. They lived in judgment. They lived in embarrassment. They lived in object poverty. They lived with no social or political standing in the world. Jesus, you it says I will sing unto the Lord a new song no deliverance just praise just a solid resolute trust that God the warrior king of Israel is still on the throne he will come he will judge he will rule the world and at the end of the day our warrior king will make it all right look at what he said have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. This is a guy destitute, homeless, no national border, no national land. The city, the temple, the church destroyed. And yet he says in the next verse, shout! Man, we would just be singing the blues, wouldn't we? And he goes, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. 
burst into jubilant song with music. Hey, listen, if you wait until everything is perfect in your life to sing a song of trust to God the Father, the warrior king in heaven, you'll never sing. Because life down here will never be perfect, amen? Just about the time you think it's as good as it's going to get. Listen, the good news about serving Jesus Christ is that we just don't have the privilege of singing when life is good. We can sing when things are bad as well. This song of trust. So he says, shout to the Lord for joy. Burst into jubilant song with music. You ever watch kids just sing? Don and I were doing a little work here this week. And Austin came in from kindergarten. And we were just trying to bust through some stuff. And, and he was jabbering a little bit. And we're talking. We're laughing because he's funny. And, and we're just doing things. And then all of a sudden, he just breaks out in a song. We're trying to get work done. He just, I mean, wow. Jubilant. When's the last time you just sung to sing because God is God? When's the last time you just burst out in joy, not because God answered a prayer, not because things are all right, not because there's no conflict in your soul, but because Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Drop down to the end of Psalm 98. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing for the Lord and he will come to judge the world. That's the divine warrior. He will judge the world in righteousness. That's what the warrior king does. And the people with equity. Fast forward about 450 to 550 years to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. They remembered at the crossing of the Red Sea in Babylonian exile, they remembered. And now Paul gives the early church this wonderful opportunity to remember, to remember, to reflect back on the great things of God. And this is where I'd like for you to have an element of worship in your hand today. And I'll be honest, I wish we had the, the pretty goblet and the pretty this and the pretty that, but it, it, we, I want this to be personal. I want this to be important. Just kind of hang on to it. Don't do anything with it just yet. There's actually two little covers that, that you peel the top clear cellophane off, and that will get you until, into the little wafer. And then you'll, don't peel it off yet, and, and then you peel the, the purple one back, and that gets you into the drink. It's just grape juice. And all it is is to help us to shout to the Lord. All it is is to help us remember the warrior king. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, his body. Then he said, 
This is in the next verse. In the same way, the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this and whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For whether you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, Jesus understands that sometimes in life we get busy, don't we? Matter of fact, if I were to ask you how many of you purposely, intentionally thought about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ this week. And you took time out of your busy life and your hectic schedule and running kids here and there and everywhere else. And you just stopped to think and to remember what Jesus Christ did for you in a serious, contemplative way, probably there would be very few hands that would go up. So Jesus gave the church a divine object lesson, a a way to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. That on Calvary's cross, the issue there was not simply an innocent man being beaten and martyred, For what was truly going on was happening in the spiritual realm. Oh yes, in the physical realm, Jesus was shedding his blood. His body was being broken for our sins. So that through his broken body, we might might find forgiveness and payment for the debt of our sin. I understand that on a spiritual realm, there was a war going on. In the spiritual realm, there was Satan, the arch enemy of God, who was the highest of all the creative angels, puffed up with pride, led a third of the angels out of heaven, has been engaged in this war, and yet the warrior king of heaven still rules, still reigns, and is still on the throne today. And at the cross, it was the final showdown. It was the devil's last best battle. And I know Armageddon's coming and all of that, but I'm telling you what, he knew that if he could keep Jesus in the grave, he would come out on top. He knew that if Jesus was triumphant, then he would be exposed for the phony, the phony, the fraud, and the fake that he is. He knew if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, all of his power would pale and fall away in comparison to the majesty and the power and the splendor of Jesus Christ. I want you to know in the realm of the spiritual world that you could not see, there was a war going on. Jesus Christ dying for the sins of the world. And I just picture it as all the forces of evil, all the demons of hell are gathered around the tomb and the devil screams, keep him in, keep him in, keep him in. And as he shouts, keep him in with the anger of hell in his voice, the ground begins to shake. Stone begins to twitch and to vibrate. The unseen hand of God moves on the stone with ease and effortless and pushes the stone out of the way. And Jesus Christ rises triumphantly over death, hell, sin, Satan, sin, and all the forces of evil. Our ultimate king warrior defeats sin and Satan once and for all. And you and I have the privilege of living a victorious life because our warrior king defeated Satan on the cross. So Jesus said, I don't want you to ever forget. And so he says, you'll eat bread and remember my body. 
You'll drink the juice and remember my blood. You'll observe the supper and you'll remember that all of us deserved eternity in hell. But he's also a king of love. If you understood Hebrew, the Hebrew word is hased. And that is a dominant word in the Hebrew language as it relates to God in heaven. For in his loving kindness, he saves us and secures us. So today I invite you to remember, to lift up, to shout to the Lord. If the rivers will clap their hands and the mountains will sing unto the Lord, let's remember. I want to give you one admonition, though. It's found in verse 28. The Bible says, let a man examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. Because it goes on to say that if you eat the bread and drink the cup in an unworthy manner, which means if you have sin in your heart, you're not living in full obedience to Jesus Christ, then you got one or two options. Option A is you don't partake of the Lord's Supper. Option B is you confess your sin and then partake of the Lord's Supper. That's it. And I know some of you come from a a, a liturgical background where the Lord's Supper is done every week and, and sometimes with little thought or little admonition given to it. I am telling you by the authority of God's word, if there is sin in your heart while you hold the elements of worship in your hand, just leave it be. There are serious consequences. If you read the rest of the chapter, there are serious consequences to eating with sin in your heart. So in just a moment, I'm going to say the prayer of blessing over the the cup and the bread. There'll be a video and a song played. No praise team, just a video and a song It's going to be about four minutes long. Time for you to take a moment to remember and to examine your heart. And you can pray there in your seat. You might need to slip out and come to the altar and fall on your knees before a holy God and take care of some spiritual business. And then when your heart is right, maybe you individually or dads or husbands, you may want to lead your family. You you peel away the clear cellophane, eat the blood, eat the, the bread, and remember that that's his body shed for you. And then te- peel away the, the second cellophane, which is the grape juice, which is symbolic of the blood. And then after you have taken of the Lord's Supper, If you know the song, just start joining in with the song. Once the video is over, Don will come out and just kind of wrap that up. And then I'll make a final remark and we'll worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. The lights will go down low so you kind of have that personal time of reflection. So I'm going to pray. Four-minute video. You examine your heart. You remember the Lord. Partake of the Lord's Supper, and we'll celebrate together. Father, I want to ask your blessing on the bread. I want to ask your blessing on the cup. 
Lord, it's, it's just an unleavened wafer. It's just grape juice. But Lord, today it causes us to remember the warrior king who died on the cross so that we could have eternal life and have it more abundantly. That on the cross, while we saw one dimension and one realm of reality, there was a spiritual reality, there was a spiritual war going on that our warrior fought and defeated sin and Satan for us. And we celebrate that. And we remember that with his body and his shed blood in the elements of worship of the juice and the wafer. Father, as, we're, as our hearts are prepared and we have a time of reflection before you, individually on our own, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, may we truly remember your blessings. In Jesus' name. Too much.
life's greatest battle for us on the cross. It's with joy in our hearts we remember his broken body and his shed blood. What great love you had for us that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. What great love you had for the whole world that you gave your only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So Lord, we remember. We remember. With thankful hearts, with joyful hearts, with a new song in our heart, we remember. Lord, our look is not just to look back, it's also a look ahead. May we honor your love in our hearts by the celebration of this supper. There's a verse that says, in that context that he wants us to remember as oft as we drink the cup and eat the bread we're to proclaim it until he comes see because there is a day for the people of God when our warrior king will return fast forward to sometime in the future Revelation chapter 19 when all of the armies of the world are gathered at the Valley of Medigo, we call it the Battle of Armageddon. The last stand for Satan and, and God's final display of power and sovereignty and might. As the warrior king returns, listen to this pro prophetic language of the Apostle John. I saw heaven standing open, and there was before me a white horse whose rider is faithful and true. And we know that to be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. With justice, 
He judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on the head are many crowns. He has a name written that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and on his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in white linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he, our warrior king, strikes down the nations. And he rules with an iron scepter. He treads the wine presses of the fury, the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written as if there was ever any doubt who this is. The name that is above all names. It's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And today, you and I, as the people of God, not only have the privilege to look back, but we also have the honor to look ahead because our Jesus that died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he, he is coming again to rule and to reign, to set up his kingdom upon this earth. And until that day, we will shout to the Lord. Until that day, we will sing a new song unto the Lord. Until that day, we will be people of this book, looking back and remembering, but also looking ahead because, thank God, Jesus, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, he is coming again. And God's people say amen and amen.